Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. Ever seen somebody that you just knew they had just made a mess of their lives? And you, you kind of look down at them a little bit? Maybe you, maybe you walked out of a movie theater and you saw somebody and you thought, oh my goodness, what a disaster. Or maybe you had the opposite encounter with people. You saw somebody you thought, man, now that, that family, they've got their stuff together. I mean, we, we experience both kind of encounters, don't we? Like if you're, if you're a tattoo person, like, it, you know, you, you kind of admire people with, with tats, right? I don't, I don't have a tattoo, um, but it's only because I'm chicken. Like I just, I, I can't, no, I, I don't even like to get real shots, much less somebody poking me with color stuff. I don't know. No, it's just not for me. But, but if you've got them, good for you. Knock yourself out. Just make sure they, that when you're 70 and they're drooping, they're not going to look weird. All right? I just, that's my only encouragement to you. And, um, and what's, what's interesting about our encounters is they always come with this different expectation and experience. Like I had encounters with some people this week that when I got done, it was kind of like Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I had other encounters when I got done. I thought, man, that, that was great. What nice people. How so cool is that? Didn't you have some of those? I mean, all week long you had some encounters that you just, eh. And then other encounters were like, oh, yeah, that's good. That was, that was great to be with them. Well, today in John chapter 3 and John chapter 4, we take a look at two encounters that Jesus has with two radically different people. On the one hand, in John chapter 4, he runs across this lady who is um, in the middle of the day coming to get water from a well. And on the other end of the spectrum, we find this guy that's wealthy, educated, powerful, and he seems like he's got his stuff together. We see both of them in these two chapters. John 3, we see Jesus encounter a dude by the name of Nicodemus. And in John chapter 4, we see him meet this lady we only know as the woman at the well. All right? And so what happens in these two encounters is we see on the one hand a woman who what we know about her would be one of those people that when we got all our religious snobbery built up in us and all our goodness built up in us and all of our pride built up in us, we would look at her and say, now that person is living in blatant sin. That person, by the way, that whole word sin and sinner, I mean, in our culture, it is fully loaded, isn't it? Because if you're not careful, as, like, as a follower of Jesus, you will, it'll, we'll treat it like, 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 like a, a bullet we put in a gun and cock it and shoot it at somebody. You're a sinner! You know, shot you dead, got you, right? And so what's happened in our culture today is we, we've turned it into a weapon rather than an awareness. And Jesus comes along with this lady who's living this messed up life, and he doesn't put a bullet in the gun. He uses the, the thought of her sinful nature, and he addresses her with grace and dignity and love. Now, on the other hand, in John chapter 3, he finds this guy is fully religious, kept all the rules, got to the top of church land. He's a high judge in the Jewish nation. He's got family pedigree. He's got the right education. He's got the money. He's got the power. And Jesus encounters him, and he looks at him, and he's pretty stern. 
Now, you say, well, what would be in common between those two? Watch this. If we can find commonality between Nicodemus and the woman at the well, we'll find commonality between us and our encounter with Jesus. Because, you see, you've heard me say it before. I want to keep make sure that you get this. When we understand how this Bible's written in the context of the day it was written, we will then understand how it is meant for us in the context of today. Make sense? And in that context, we find these two stories. The gospel writers wants us to consider them together. The woman at the well and Nicodemus, they appear different. I mean, their circumstances so dissimilar that at first it seems they couldn't have anything to do with each other, but they genuinely have one thing in common. And by the way, it's true for everybody here. If you're here today and you've kind of got your proverbial stuff together and it looks like you've got your life all, all packed away and in good shape, man, that's awesome. But what we know is somewhere in your life you've got a mess. And if you're on the other end of the scale and you've just made a mess of your life with bad decisions, I mean, it's open. We know you got a mess. See, one of, we're all in one of three stages of life. We're either going in a mess, we're in the middle of a mess, we're just coming out of a mess, getting ready for the next mess. Because life is not always easy, is it? And for some of us, it's just downright brutal. And so Jesus takes these two, and because they have something in common, then we all have something in common. As we look at these two encounters with Jesus together, we can see what John is saying about you and me and about our encounters, both with each other and with Jesus. So if you would, take your Bibles and find John chapter 4. It's, if you don't have your Bible, don't worry. We'll put it on the screen for you. And we'll find in John chapter 4 uh, this really interesting engagement with, um, with the woman at the well. All right, so I'm going to start in verse 3. I'm not sure where we pick it up uh, in, in, on the screens, but you'll, you'll figure out where I'm at. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. That's talking about Jesus. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field where Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, weary as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, I want you to get the picture of what we just read. Jesus is tired. He's gone for days. He's exhausted in an arid, dry place, and he comes to Jacob's well, and he sits there on the well. You say, well, why isn't he drinking? He has nothing to get the water with yet. Nothing to get the water with yet, so he's thirsty. All right, now watch, watch what happens. Oh, by the way, this is kind of midday. The sixth hour would have been around noon, so the sun is up in a hot, arid desert place. All right? So here's what we learn. A woman, in verse 7, from Samaria, came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me the drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus encounters this lady. Now, first I want you to know the big deal here and what's going on. Jesus and his disciples are traveling to Samaria. The boys go to get something to eat, and Jesus 
departs on his own and goes to the well. And when he gets there, everything starts happening. He has, he has no way of getting water out of the well because he doesn't have a water jar. And at the sixth hour around noon, in the heat of the day, he goes there. And, 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 and we understand that, well, a woman came and got water, but we don't understand how radical it was for that to happen. You see, three things were radical in this encounter. Number one, a Jewish man would never encounter a Samaritan woman, ever. A Jewish man would never encounter a Samaritan, ever. Now, let me explain why. You see, the Jewish nation believed the Samaritans literally were, as you unpack the translation, half-breed, no-good people. And so they discounted everything about them with this thought that you're not worthy. I, 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 listen, if you were on fire, I wouldn't pour my bottle of water on you. I don't care anything about you. I, you you're the scum of the earth. I mean, it was racism at its height. And Jesus knows that, and she knows that. The second issue that's interesting is that this lady came at, at, at noon. The women who have come and drawn water, they would have all come together in the morning early while it was cool, and they would have had water for their day and their chores throughout the day. This lady came at noon. You know why? She was hiding from the rest of those women because her lifestyle was such that they all pointed to her and said, you're the tramp. You're, you're, you're that woman. You're, you're the woman openly living in sin. You're the one that we ought to throw rocks at. You're the one we look, at our, look down our nose at. So she chose to come at an awkward hour. She encountered this cultural barrier, this racial barrier, this religious barrier, because there a Jewish man would have never had an encounter like that with a woman. Three things where if you put it in context of then versus today, it would have been at the height of racism where we would look down our nose at somebody that doesn't look like us think like us or act like us and believe we are superior for some silly reason. And Jesus takes this time and he breaks through race, gender, cultural, religious barriers, all the norms with this woman. And Jesus does what he always does. He does the unexpected and the countercultural thing and it seems completely out of place. I mean, he just, he completely breaks through all those norms. He doesn't care what anybody thinks he's doing. He's doing the right thing. You know what he sees? A woman in trouble who's made a mess of her life. And you know what he could have done? He could have said, wow, listen, I'll tell you what. You go home and get all that, all that makeup that you got off, and you go put on a skirt that's the right length, and you, you go fix your hair the right way, and you, and, and you go wear the right shoes, and you go listen to the right music, and then you come back and I can help you. That's what he could have done. And I fear that's what many of us would have done. We might would have looked at them. I mean, I know my tendency. I see some people at some time, you know what I think? Yeah. Don't you? Jesus didn't. He looked at her and he said, I, I've got something for you that nobody else offers. I can give you living water. And he paints this metaphorical picture that she can have something that will quench her thirst forever. And then he goes on, he makes this great picture. He said, it'll be like a well that springs up in your soul and leads to eternal life. So in other words, what Jesus is saying is, everything you've chased, everything you've tried, everything you've done, clearly 
You need something else. And the only thing that's going to satisfy that longing in your life is to have this well that springs up with you of living water. Jesus is painting this metaphorical picture that says the only thing that's going to satisfy your soul is me. And you know what she says? I want that. You know why? I do too, don't you? How many of us have spent most of our life chasing after something, day after day after day, looking for something to quench our soul, our career, a little more money, a little bigger house? I mean, some of us chase the perfect body. Some Some of us chase beauty. I mean, we're all after something. By the way, you know what I've noticed? We all worship something. And you know what, what's interesting about that is in the middle of all that mess, everybody worships something. The choice we make is what we worship. Every minute, every day, we choose what we worship. It's interesting to me. Sometimes we, we chase after things and it enslaves us. I mean, whatever it is, you tell yourself that you have to have it or there's no tomorrow. And that means whatever threatens it will, will cause you to become insecure and frightened. It does to me. When I get worried and fretful over do I have enough money, do I have, do I, am I taking care of my family well, do I do X, Y, and Z right, we all have some insecurity, don't we? Am I, am I accepted? Am I loved? Am I cared for? We're all chasing something. I had five couples in my office this week trying to deal with infidelity. Five couples this week. At the end of the day, you know what every challenge came down to? Somebody looking for something outside of them to quench a thirst that could only be quenched by a relationship with Jesus. They were, they were on a, they, all they wanted was to find something outside, to look for something that would quench their thirst. Jesus looks at her and he never looks at her with this pointed finger of guilt. He says, sweetie, I know you've made a mess of your life. I love you, and you can't do anything to make me not love you. If you're here today and you're her her side of the scale, maybe you've made a mess of your life. Maybe you came today and you put all your church goodness on and you're hiding it well. Man, if you've made a mess in your life, let the living water of Jesus metaphorically and personally and figuratively saturate deep in your soul and become a well that springs up with life more abundant today and eternally forever and he offers it to you without any guilt without any shame and without any condemnation and he says I love you Jesus breaks all these norms of social and religious and cultural barriers not to point out her sin but to give her life I mean, he he goes through all of that. And then Jesus has this other encounter, back a chapter, in John chapter 3, and and it's pretty cool to see. But before we go there, I want you to notice, Jesus does something with the woman at the well that's, that's really interesting. I mean, he's already encountered Nicodemus that we're about to see, and he recognized what happens when people worship their intellect, their, their, their intelligence. He's already seen what it is when, when we chase after evil or sinful or things that we know aren't, aren't good. And in the middle of that, at the end, he drops this encounter bomb on her where she says, man, 
Whatever it is you're offering, I want. Where do I get that? And Jesus says, I am the one speaking to you. This is where you get it, Jesus. And you know what she says? I'm in. I want that. I'm tired of playing. I'm tired of my life being a mess. I'm in. Now go back a chapter and look at John chapter 3. Look in verse, verse 1. And in, in chapter 3, verse 1, Jesus meets another kind of guy. Rather than this woman who's living the kind of this blatantly open, messed up life, he goes over to chapter 3, and, and he meets this guy who is super religious. I mean, this is the guy that dresses right, says the right thing, checks all the right boxes, follows all the rules. I mean, he looks like a good guy, talks like a good guy, but there's something missing in him. And listen to what happens. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees. Now, remember, the Pharisees, the easiest way I can describe it for them is they would have been the big shots of the church. Are you with me? Like in the Jewish culture, the Pharisees, they would have been the, they would have been the teachers. They were the big deal, all right? So there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And it says he was also a ruler of the Jews. He was a high judge. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly. Now remember what I said before? When Jesus drops a truly, truly on you, it's like, hello, wake up. This is a big deal. Don't miss this next one, right? I mean, it's, it's like, all right, all right, we're in the gate, let's go, all right, and he says this, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, and Nicodemus asks what I think is a truly wonderful question, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, once again, truly, truly, you got it, big deal here, truly, he drops a second truly, truly on him. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus said, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you don't understand these things. Third, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you, you do not receive our testimony. I mean, Jesus finds this guy who's kind of got all of his stuff together, and Nicodemus has spent a life worshiping God according to strict Jewish tradition, and he must have been offended by this encounter because Jesus is... I mean, he's, he's going at him pretty good here. Born again, talk about a loaded term. I mean, in America today, born again is now a political term. I mean, born again, or, I mean, that's a red state. That's a conservative, right? I mean, born again is when somebody on, on uh, television, on CNN, when somebody says they're a born again, I mean, basically they're saying to everybody, watch out for that guy, he's a wacko, Right? because we turned it in a political term. At that time, the first time that the world ever hears this term is, is with Nicodemus. You must be born again. And Jesus is saying, the way this works, Nicodemus, is you got to draw a line in the sand, and this is your past life, and I can give you a new life. The all, you came to me in the middle of the night. Why would Nicodemus do that? Because he would be embarrassed to come to Jesus in the day when everybody could see him. And the reason he would have been embarrassed to do that is because he was a big deal. 
He was the one that was supposed to know all the answers. But clearly Nicodemus was missing something in his life. So in the middle of the night, he comes and has this encounter with Jesus. And he says, I, there's, I got to know. What, how does this happen? And Jesus hits him with this encounter bomb. You must be born again. Well, how can that happen? And Jesus, well, this is the way it works. It's like drawing a line in the sand and said, your past is past. And now you're going to allow me to be the boss of your life. You see, Jesus puts it this way. If you want to call upon the name of the Lord, now there's a key word, just ask Jesus to do it. I can't give you a magical prayer. I can't make you count enough beads. You can't hail enough Marys. I mean, all that stuff, what Jesus says is, you just say, I need you to be the Lord of my life. Now, that's a loaded, loaded term, Lord. Now, remember, at that time when this was written, when you said the word Lord, you're speaking to people who owned people and were owned by people. That was a person who owned people, a Lord. And so what Jesus is saying, I want to own your heart, mind, soul, draw a new line in the sand so that I can give you a new life. And Nicodemus says, I don't get it. I'm so intellectual. I don't get it. My life is all good. I don't get it. You know, it's interesting. Anytime we're looking to something else besides God for your salvation, that's sin. Sin is looking to something else other than God for our salvation. Nicodemus had it all. He had the pedigree, he had the education, he had the income, he had the power, and yet he was looking in all the wrong places. I mean, really, he was looking for love in all the wrong places. Now, it's interesting, Jesus comes along, and we see these two people on each end of the spectrum. And the commonality between the two is Jesus draws this picture and says, if you're just really messed up or you've got all your junk together, you're at even foot at the foot of the cross. You are even, you're total, you're even. Now, this is what's good in here. In this room, we've got a couple of millionaires. And in this room, because I already talked to you, we've got people who don't know where they're going to live a week from now. We've we got people in here today who were living in homes because of just the grace of God and their life fell apart. And we got people living in million dollar homes. We got folks who, they, they don't have money to put gas in their car to get anywhere tomorrow. And we got folks who are living in the lap of luxury. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. What I'm saying is what Jesus said. Jesus said, at the end of the day, we're all on common ground. We must be born again. We must accept Jesus as Lord. We've got to be able to come to this point where we, we stop looking down our nose at somebody else and we look in the mirror and say, this is what I need. I need Jesus. I need a fresh start. I need a new day. Whatever I have done with my life, I need to start over. You say, well, Chuck, I, I need you to give me a solution here. What's the solution? I mean, we all need to stop looking for false forms of salvation, starting with me. We all need to stop looking for pseudo-saviors, including me. I mean, if we build our life on our career or on our spouse or on our money or on our morality and it fails, there's no hope for us. I mean, you know why? Because every other Savior but Jesus isn't really a Savior. If our career, if our career fails, you know what I've learned? It's not going to forgive us. I've had colossal failures in my career over the years. You know what I've realized? 
our career is unforgiving. It's not going to save us. It's not going to forgive us. I mean, if, if, we, if we only punish ourselves with self-loathing and shame from it, we never experience what we could experience. I mean, Jesus is the only Savior who, if we gain Him, He will satisfy us. And watch this. And when we fail Him, He will forgive us. Our career, our moral performance, by contrast, can't die for our sins. Jesus looks across the spectrum of all of this life, and He says, you're even at the foot of the cross, and we all need a new life. I find it interesting that Jesus met this woman because he was thirsty. He became human to interact and to live and to die for me and you. And, and here we are, all even at the foot of the cross, no matter what your status in life is, your socioeconomic status, your educational status, whether you're black, white, green, red, yellow, orange, whatever you are, whether your hair is funky or conservative, whether you listen to rock and roll or country, whether you're fat or skinny, Jesus says we're all even at the foot of the cross, waiting, and he says, come to me if you're tired, if you're weary, if you're broke. He says, come to me if you're wealthy, if you're lonely, if you're happy, if you're sad, and he'll give you a drink from living waters from which you'll never thirst again. He says, come, draw a line, be born again start over. You say, well, Chuck, how do I do that? It's really simple. There's no magic prayer. In your heart, you could just say this, just right in your heart right now. You can say, Jesus, I need you to be my Lord. Take over my life. I made a mess. Forgive me of all my junk. And I accept the fact that you died for me and you rose for me to pay for all my silliness, all my sin. And if that's the desire of your heart, it's really that clear. It's that easy. You say, there's got to be more to it. Nope, not really. Samantha Pappas was baptized earlier today. You, you know what she said? She said, I'm not really sure why I waited so long to be baptized. I just, I just knew I needed to be. That's just hearing the voice of God. Today, maybe you need to hear the voice of God. Maybe I need to hear the voice of God and say, yeah, I, want, I need a new life. I'm starting over. And that's how simple life is. Isn't it good to know? Nothing we've done can make Jesus not love us. Lord, we love you. Thank you that your love never, ever fails. You are always good, and we are always loved. God, there are people here today who said yes to you. Give them the courage to just do what Samantha did and say, hey, I, I want to do what Jesus did. What do I do now? And there are people here wrestling with, man, I don't know if I can believe all that. There are folks here trying to wrestle with just messed up lives and folks that are lonely and weary and tired. Lord, it's good to know that you never leave us, you never forsake us. And all the junk we go through, you're using to prepare us for something tomorrow. So I pray we'd recognize that and hear you and answer you as you hear and answer us. In the name of Jesus, our King, our Savior, and our Lord, we pray these things. Amen.